Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Blurred Box. I'm Chloe. I'm Haven. I'm Pooja. And I'm Sophie. And this is our podcast. We're four online students in four different places around the world from Stanford University's online high school come together every week to discuss a variety of topics ranging from world events to our lives in an online school and invite guests to take part in our discussions and share their views. This week, we have another special guest. He is another fellow student of ours at OHS and also our senior class president, Tomas Belmar. Hey, thanks for having me, Chloe. Yeah, and thank you for coming. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you. How's everyone mm-hmm. doing? So I guess go ahead and introduce yourself and just share a bit of um, who you are. Okay. <laughs> so as Chloe said, my name is Tomas Belmar. Um, I've been in the OHS since ninth grade, I believe. I started out as a single course student, ended up as a full-time student. Um, and yeah, that's that's the small rundown about what my life is, um, generally speaking, and I end up having a pretty similar life to other OHSers. You know, we spend a lot of time at home, but we still get to balance out our friend's life and social life yeah. outside so, of that. Like, so as you're from yeah. Port, I'm actually curious as to how you joined OHSer. Like, what drew you to the school in the first place? <laughs> That's actually a pretty funny story. I was, well, I was a little ninth grader with an obsession that I wanted to go to Stanford. So I was, I was browsing the Stanford website in ninth grade and that pop-up just came up. It wasn't even one of those advertisements that people now get in. I mean, I've seen people get them on Instagram, even for the OHS. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, this one was straight up in the Stanford websites. Um, I saw it advertised and I checked it out and I asked my mom if I could do, um, if I could do a course there. I was studying computer science at the time, so I wanted to do AP computer science. And my mom, she allowed me, of course. And oh, that's, awesome. how, that's how I got started. That's great. But yeah, then yeah I eventually nice. became a full stuff. That's really nice. <laughs> yeah, but I started off, I went to the summer at Stanford, the, um, the event um, or the meetup before I actually joined the school. So I got to meet a lot of the community then, which I think was super beneficial at my inter- integration into the OHS community. And honestly, by the end of that, even without having started my first year at Stanford, I had already asked my mom if I could join. Oh, that's like a love story. That's so good. (laughs) I guess that's also another pointer for (laughs) those of you who are listening. Um, And if you're planning to join OHS or if you're already in OHS, right? um, Summer at Stanford, a lot of these events are a great way for you to make your friends. Yeah, because as an online student, we sacrifice so much when it comes to like meeting people in person. But, you know, just the OHS community itself is such a wholesome place and you make so many new friends and it really makes those in-person meetings worthwhile exactly yeah yeah absolutely so how's it been like actually tomas in in ohs for you so so far could would you be able to say kind of some of the main differences you felt because um as we know also for um for you you've been going to an uh brick and mortar school for the longest time as well in Lisbon. So what is the biggest differences for you going from that to an online school or even doing those two at the same time? Mm -hmm. Well, I think my OHS experience ends up being somewhat different to other people since I'd say, I mean, I don't know what the percentage is, but a lot of the OHS is Americans um, and people who live in the States. So of course, meetups are everywhere for them, right? If you live in Colorado, you go to a Colorado meetup. Whereas if I'm in, mm-hmm. yeah, 
Whereas if I'm in Portugal, I think the either I rely on us organizing our own meetup or I have to go to somewhere like England um, to, to one of the bigger meetups. But generally, I think I've I think I've found a pretty good balance with keeping well my OHS friends, which is um, by going to, for example, summer at Stanford. That's one that I've never missed. Or actually, I did miss one year, but <laughs> that's different. I never missed MIT Splash, which is another one of the meetups. Um, and then really, it's just making sure that we stay in contact that when I'm at home and so through social media, Skype, whatever it is, playing online video yeah. games. Um, really, I think it's just communication is important. And that, I mean, that's something that you really see now with the coronavirus outbreak since everyone's stuck at home. But friendships aren't being lost, yeah. right? If anything, in many ways, yeah. they're being strengthened. No, yeah, I agree with that. People are now at home all doing... I completely agree with that. And people are people are starting to realize what what this is like. I mean, suddenly, the whole world is kind of doing what we've all been yeah, doing I for the past few years, which is. And I joined like last year. <laughs> it's like, oh, now I made you so know. So many jokes about that. Now you know how it works, but I feel like I feel like people are getting like a pretty skewed version of online school because like Stanford online high school is so set up and it's so structured, and now as brick and mortar schools are transitioning into online they're not really understanding the full experience that online schooling can bring yeah so, I, I guess yeah. that's a downside i've yeah, seen a lot of my friends from like brick and mortar schools and everything i think realize how much effort it takes to maintain friendships kind of in the way to much like you were speaking about just through really yeah. putting time and effort in mm -hmm. and talking to each other and staying connected to through social media and that it's actually you know kind of exhausting at points um, and definitely worth mm -hmm. it, definitely worth it I, for so many people. But it's interesting watching, like, you know, those people who are surrounded by, you know, hundreds of kids every single day aren't really used to mm -hmm. putting the effort in that way. So it's interesting seeing that. the table kind of thing. Yeah, when you go to yeah. an actual brick and mortar school, it's a lot easier since you, no matter what you are seeing right. all of your classmates right. every yeah. day. You don't have yeah. to try. You're always surrounded yeah, I, I, by people. I, yeah. I never really, I've never really thought about that, but it is true that in the OHS, you do have to make an active effort to maintain your friends, whereas, or I mean, right. it's an effort from both sides, of mm -hmm. course. Yeah. Um, but, I think it's probably, but yeah, whereas in a brick and mortar school, it's probably a beneficial it. thing, at least in my mind, because like a public school, one of the things that I always really didn't like about it was um, you're kind of stuck with who you're stuck with and you your friends out yeah, of circumstance most of the time or friends mm -hmm. is a very loosely used term, you know, like you just know everyone. Um, but when you all live in different states or obviously like different countries or continents, you only make an effort to talk to people that you actually really want to be around or people who actually yeah. are like really and I think, friends. So I think it's also yeah. Cool. And I think because of that, and especially since we live so far apart, we're better at keeping connections after school ends and after we graduate. So I think that could really be beneficial. Yeah. Cause we're putting yeah. all that effort. But at the same time, Mm -hmm. But there are pros and cons, and I do got to say, like, if I didn't have my friend group, my physical friend group here from Portugal, I'd yeah, probably I go insane, <laughs> because at some point you do need a certain level of physical contact. And I'm, I mean, as Chloe mentioned, I've been going to my, my school in Lisbon since I was three years old, um, and I only left two years ago to come to the OHS, so I was already pretty rooted into that community, so it wasn't hard at all for me to maintain those friendships, um, and they're still who I hang out with the most. Um, and I think that without them, I would have gone insane, just staying at home the whole time without any social interactions. So I think 
being an OHSer, especially if you're an international student, it's still important to have your own group of right. friends right. Um, no, yeah, outside of the OHS. Yeah. yeah. And I, I guess but like, at the same time, I can't imagine my life without my OHS friends at this point. Definitely. Like, yeah. And true. just the community yeah. in general. Yeah. And being immersed, you know, in this community of, and as you said, right, um, mainly the American student body. Um, can you tell us about some of the differences, like cultural differences, I think is a big thing. Because being personally from, from my end, I'm also, I've spent a very great deal of my life in, in Europe. And I have, I have a base in, in France. So not Portugal, but in France. I've been to Portugal before, actually. So um, from France and from Australia and all Hong Kong, these places all international. It's yeah. a very huge difference for me coming into the I guess in the beginning, the American student body and the American kind of like system and also just going to America in general was a very big difference for me. Can you tell us about some of those that you've encountered between Portugal and as a whole in comparison to OHS and or the U.S.? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, I think, well, I was really surprised when I first, when I was first really integrated into the OHS community to see how similar everyone was, because I mean, in the end, we're all humans with the same emotions, same behaviors to a certain degree. Um, and yeah, but there are those big cultural differences. I think I've noticed it mostly in a political sense, oh, yeah. um, in, what's, in what Americans think will work for their government where, versus what Europeans will think will work for their government. So like, um, well, I'd say that Europeans are more conservative in a lot of senses, but yeah, at the I same time- I agree with that too. But, but more conservative in a social level, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Whereas, um, whereas they're more progressive when it comes to things like healthcare, right. um, education, and different yeah. different social benefits. Yeah, um, and what and the government taking an actual active role in the in the in its people's lives. And so, I think that's the biggest difference, really. I noted. I, I think left in the U.S. Um, versus right in the U.S. is very different from left in Europe versus right in Europe. Um, like, I'd probably be more towards the left in the U.S. spectrum, whereas I'd be more towards the right in the European spectrum. Um, and yeah, there's, I think that's where I really noticed the biggest differences. Other than that, <laughs> well, I feel like sometimes it feels like the Europe as a continent is more united than so. the U.S. as a country. Oh, always see, yeah. I always, see, yeah. I, I always see these, I don't know, every, everything seems so binary in discussions. It's like if, if someone that I support says something, I have to support um, someone called me. But um, where was I? Where did I cut off? Sorry. Um, Kind of like the binary okay. views. Yeah, of, but I think you guys um, get the point. It's, it's that discussion. it's either it's either something or it's the opposite of that thing. There is no in between, which is something. That, I mean, yeah. I think everything's a spectrum. Every, every opinion you can have can be skewed towards a side or another without being completely, without implying any anything else really, um, and without yeah. implying Moderates who you are as a person. Yeah. yeah, it's not white and black. Mm -hmm. That's a common. <laughs> analogy people make yeah, and i think it's that way with a lot. Oh, yeah i think from my end it's just like it's just when uh i don't know i think when when i was in france for example it was a very like like you said tomas conservatism is a very good word to use because for living there for us it was very um kind of you keep to your own business and you kind of like you stay to your to your own kind of what you're doing you, and you're you're respectful but it's like you're not going to be that um that, I don't know, um, 
willing to go and be into other people's kind of um, way in, mm-hmm. in that in that sense, if you know what I mean. Like, so the, one of the biggest things for me coming into OHS was um, how vocal everyone was about their. I, and I think that's also maybe just something in um, not to generalize for everything, but ki- kind of growing up in the Asian side of um, of the system of like even though it was an international st- school. I spent six years in an international school in Hong Kong, and I feel like oh, coming to OHS is kind of very, it's a very different sense in, in where students are very vocal. I think that's, um, that part of, of, of the student body is just that's come very naturally. In our history well. class, I think that's we, uh, we had a great discussion about um, what American culture is and what defines that, because it's really hard to actually right. try to define that even as an American, um, because we really have like you know so many different things different it's so diverse. Um, yeah. but we, one of the ways that we tried to understand that is by looking at uh the short video series and it was about what europeans think about americans um and there was a short skit and it was more like <laughs> oh. it was more nothing good can happen like, how europeans that. can tell like <laughs> that you're american when you walk into the room and all of them they were i feel <laughs> like that's just like right, a, it was like a distract, but in reality but you know, the top five were basically just along the lines of like they're loud they're confident they're too confident they're too loud and they smile and it was interesting to see that's that funny, you know because yeah. that's because that's all that i know kind of like i haven't ever been to europe uh wait no that's a lie mm-hmm. i have but i haven't like been immersed in european culture mm-hmm. so i i'm uh, i'm not like familiar with exactly how like what the differences would be like but i could definitely imagine it being like just americans maybe more gregarious or vocal about those opinions yes but not necessarily in a bad way i like what yeah. chloe said about how when she was in yeah. france I, I like how she put it in that everyone just kind of keeps to their own business in a way which i don't necessarily regard as a good thing at all because when you go to the, to a u.s neighborhood well it has that neighborhood community feeling right um yeah, it does. I That's one of the biggest when things. I was yeah. watching, I would watch TV shows and it's it's something like someone moves into a new house and neighbors bake them a pie or have yeah. a barbecue and invite all the neighbors. <laughs> that's just not a thing that you witness here. That yeah, does it's, not, it's not yeah. a thing that I see That's in Portugal, not... um, that I haven't seen in other countries around in around Europe. And I assume it's just generally not the case in most places in Europe. Um, and I think that that's, that's a great quality for the US culture to have, really, um, in that whereas the whole country itself as a whole isn't united um in a way i'd say that small districts are there there's more of a family feel to it you guys like are community. yeah yeah absolutely yeah like cultural communities like with chinatown and um even in chicago i would go to chicago a lot for my skating practice and i would pass through like a polish town and you know that they're really connected but outside of that nobody's really connected to the polish community as much so i think that's an interesting part about what tomas said about the united states being united in the individual communities but not necessarily as a whole like culturally no yeah i can agree with that i've definitely have more of a cultural bond with like my culture and i think it also stems from like historical aspects like when people started immigrating into new york city they were searching out but they are race, their culture, their ethnicity to like right. group together and they will help each other grow. But they were kind of secluded in that area. They would just like I might little pockets argue, of diversity. Though, that we even do have this kind of overarching American culture that's different from Europe in that um, 
it I would almost call it entitlement um, because one overarching thing that we all do have a claim to is like the Constitution, right? Or our, you know, right to free speech and everything. And, our, you know, for some people, it's like the right to bear arms or anything um, that they hold really, really close to their heart as like an American value of theirs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that does give us a sense of entitlement in a lot of places, you know, like you'll see, um, for instance, like American exchange students, if they're going, you know, studying abroad during college or something, and they're talking about whatever they want, you know, in other countries that don't appreciate free speech as much as us, they get a slap on the wrist for it, or they go to prison for it, you know, um, or anything else. So it's interesting that I think there are a lot of things that we start to take for granted here. And I think that's a pretty widely American thing. Not very. That's true. I can, I can see that. Like we have a lot of freedoms that we take for granted here that we might not have in other countries that we go to. No, yeah, like, I assume everywhere is going to be the same And I'm same not saying that with, like, America, but that's not the case. I'm not trying to... <laughs> that, no. no, yeah. It is still in other places. Um, I mean, like, more, at least developed countries. Of course, it's different if you go to a third world country, for example, um, or just places like China, where the government has full authority of, well, everything, really. Um, yeah, but I think right. generally in most... Yeah countries um i wouldn't say that there's any less free speech than in the u.s um in that way in the way that you'd go to jail i mean i think you'd really only go to jail if you did the same things as in the u.s like shouting fire at a theater when there's no fire Um, and there's just those common examples of (laughs) what of free speech doesn't mean you can say whatever you want um right or it means protection from the government right right, not protection from anyone else (laughs) <laughs> no, yeah. yeah, I think like another one of those cultural differences, I guess, going back to how you def- you definitely were integrated into the, the brick and mortar system since three years old. Um, what are some of the biggest, I guess, going away from the, the more cultural differences you can kind of feel? Um, what do you think are some that you felt through the education system? Because I think I've read so it's quite different and it's quite interesting, actually. Um, to be very specific to Portugal in itself, that you guys in- integrate uh, human rights education very early into education. I think that's what I, I'm not sure whether that's the case for your school, but um, that's something I've read for in general for Portugal. Is that true? And I guess can I elaborate on, on those differences if you've felt any of those? Well, I unfortunately don't have as much insight as I think you're hoping for since my brick and mortar school did follow the American system, um, which is how I ended up being, well, somewhat Americanized in a way um, growing up, even though I'm fully Portuguese. Um, But I do know I I do know to a certain degree how Portuguese schools work. Um, There's something that I don't like about them, which is that. I believe in sixth or seventh grade, right away, you have to choose between three areas, which is either sciences, um, literature, and and humanities, mm-hmm. and a third one, which I forget. But it's that's essentially what you have to stick to after that, and then you have different amounts of vocational that you have to get for each um, for each of those sections. Um, and, yeah, um, I mean, this is this is all over Portugal, and then and then there's national final exams for everyone. Um, and there's, I, th- I think there's a lot of differences. It yeah. kind of binds you to a certain career That's path really early on. Kind of sad. Um, which, 
Oh, sorry. Yeah, you can continue. This... Okay, I was just like, okay, how? Can... I'm just like trying to think back. It's like, <laughs> I mean... how could I decide what I want to do at such a young age? Because I only figured out relatively what I wanted to do in high school, and I'm still figuring it out as I go. And I'm like, I feel like in America, I'm like trying to like figure out what to do in high school. And I think that's too early, but like to th- figure it out at sixth yeah. grade. People flip oh. too. One of my best friends went to school for engineering, and now he's an art major. You know, so you're insane and that's yeah. the best but maybe it's a good thing because it's also I mean I know the vocational training could also be really good for students in terms of you know future employment if that's if we believe that should be like what our education is geared towards I know that in itself is a controversial statement um, but you know if you're training them to be really professional in a field mm-hmm. then probably like anything you know starting piano young or something like that you're gonna have a better shot at it but I agree that I did not know I still don't really, and I'm going to college. Um, I thought I. Yeah. 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 I guess. <laughs> Something that I do dislike about the U.S. system is the fact that you have to get that one U.S. history credit, and I guess that's more personal because as a Portuguese oh, no. guy following the American system, I do. It's okay, Americans don't want to be taking the Yeah, we don't want to be taking U.S. history. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I do think, I think that it would, it would make sense if they replaced, or if they made a, a history credit at least, but I don't think, or I think, I don't know, my, my thoughts are so conflicted on that. I just don't think it's necessarily um, essential for all Americans even to have a depthful course about the U.S. history to that degree. Um, and I think if they made it just history in general with the option of being U.S. history, that that could be beneficial, even for what you were, for that kind of sense, well, going back to the cultural conversation, Mm -hmm. I feel like Americans feel, well, united in the way that's, um, in that they stay in their own country and that that most most of their life experience ends up being resumed to things happening in their own country. Even going on vacations is going to the other side of the country. Um, of course, with a lot of exceptions. Right. I'm, not, I'm not saying that Americans don't travel, but most of the cultural experiences end up, end up being shaped by other Americans. Um, and I think, yeah, and I, and I think that it would be beneficial to, well, to give to at least give children the option in, once they're in high school to start learning about other things, um, and not exactly force them to mm-hmm. only have that credit and then give them the option to study whatever else they want. Um, but even I just... an alternative that might be more helpful than like you know the, the no, U.S. Ahead, history or something is even taking um, if it still needs to be U.S. oriented like U.S. Um, uh, government or politics or something like that um, because I, I think one of the other unfortunately yeah. uniting factors of America um, is just a lack of political involvement or advocacy um, so right. I think that might be more productive, you know, if you're thinking about it in terms mm-hmm. of that. But I agree, even like world history or a more general history credit might be more beneficial for just people, yeah. you know, and like global citizens instead mm-hmm. of just American citizens. Because mm-hmm. I think that's true. Like Europeans, yeah, it's so easy for you guys mm-hmm. to travel. And I'm so jealous of that. That's definitely a blanket, you know, a blanket that is true. statement. The borders are very open. Yeah. Just drive across. I mean, it takes... It's six hours from That's the insane. top to the bottom I of my drive country by Texas. car, wow. which is the long way. Wow. <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah. I was um, yeah. in like four years ago or something, maybe five. Um, 
my family did a road trip across European countries. So that was really cool. And we could never like do, we went to so many different countries. We can never do that in US. I mean, we could do statewide, but like countries, yeah, no, we have to drive like 14 hours to get to Canada. <laughs> I'm just like. I mean, imagine driving from Canada to Mexico would always be a, a long huge drive. road trip. It's 20 plus hours right there. Another thing that you you said, Tomas, is that um, for Americans, and again, not to generalize because there are those specific cases, but in general, a lot of the life, like you said, resumes mainly within the country. So the the most kind of thing is that, like like you said, if you're going to take a holiday, you hop across to the other side of the country. But um, in Europe, obviously, that's very different because, you know, driving down a few hours, like we said, you get to a completely different country and completely different way of, well, not, maybe not different way of life, but certain differences, cultural differences and all that that you get to experience. And it's, again, a lot more accessible for those people. What do you think, and from your point of view, and I think you've also kind of mentioned this and how people have this, a, the perception of how it shapes their perception how they how they view or make their world view based on that how do you think that differs i guess having that advantage and have you know being on that end of it of being in that particular situation where you are accessible to this opportunity or not maybe not opportunity but that particular um way of of life right um be having that open to you versus those in america that like you've said we've presented that particular example Right. That's a great question. Um, I think, for one, it makes a huge difference in how Americans and Europeans view people from other countries in the way that, well, in the in Europe, for, as you guys were mentioning, it's a lot easier to travel, not just because it's close to each other, but because things like the European Union enable us to pretty much have open borders all around. Um, and it's just so easy to be immersed by completely different cultures. And while U.S. states also wide are also very wildly um, in terms of political opinions and um, cultures, really, um, you end up still, you're all Americans, you're all speaking the same language, you all have that one common thing, which is your nationality and your, right. and so, um, so I and feel language, like that, actually, going back, well, we, like don't that have, change, we don't have, uh, yeah, yeah, we don't or have, or in Spanish, language. sorry, yeah, yeah, really, really, I didn't know that. oh, yeah, <laughs> But as I was saying, it's just predominantly I think that, English. That, that changes um, that changes the way that the or people's worldviews in the way that Americans might look more for the for themselves, um, look look out for themselves um, mm-hmm. as a country in general, be more nationalistic in that sense, mm-hmm. um, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, um, no. of course. But but I think that Europeans. Um, of course, I'm not saying that, I mean, we're all stuck up. I'm not going to lie about that. Europeans are very stuck up. <laughs> but, yeah. but at the same time, um, I think this really connects with what I was saying about talking about social benefits and talking about helping everyone out rather than just helping ourselves first. Right. Um, even though, of course, um, European countries will still always look for them, look out for themselves first and then for others. Yeah, right. uh, but things like the European Union wouldn't be wouldn't really be possible if countries were looking out for themselves and only for themselves. Um, right. And I think that that really changes a lot culturally um, and, and yeah, in yeah. every way, really, in everyone's worldviews, how you're raised. 
That's um, interesting. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm curious what you guys think, right? Because you guys are, are very immersed in America. And I, I mean, Pooja might, might be able to actually say something about that because she does travel very, very often too. I'm curious as to what she would say too. Yeah. I know that when you're just in the U.S., at least before I started going to a lot of international comp- um, competitions, when I was just in the U.S., you kind of are limited in your view and you start to see yourself in one way and just tied to American culture. And I think that's how everybody feels like you, you kind of grow up in the same environment. And so you're never really exposed to outside ideas and outside cultures. And um, kind of as Chloe said, outside ways of life, because everybody around the world lives in different ways. And so I think when I went to um, European countries, just all of them in general, I kind of got a new perspective about how people interacted with each other, which was, as we've already discussed, very different from how people interact in the U.S., where they don't seem as outward. Like, they're more into themselves, as Chloe already said. My first Tomas. impression coming into America was that you guys are so friendly. Yes. I was so, I was so yeah. surprised no, when I walked yeah. into when the I went super, to Europe, supermarket and pharmacy. Like, I was like, yeah. When I went to Europe, in absolutely. some countries, it felt kind of cold. Like, I didn't feel... I didn't feel as welcome as I did in the U.S. whenever I go into the U.S., but maybe that's also just because I grew up in the U.S., like coming from a different country might naturally give you that impression, but it didn't feel as welcome. That's interesting, especially compared with what Tomas was saying about like, which I I do agree with. I think Americans are very, um, you know, like to the extent that any country is, but America is very, you know, focused on ourselves, right? Because I think a lot of it might have to do with our size where, we don't really see the need to rely on other countries. You know, we think that we can. Hmm. Don't agree with, um, but we think that we can make it on our own. Right. And that's why we can prioritize ourselves in that way without really looking at other countries. But it's interesting to kind of pair that with the individual, I guess, stereotype that we all agree on of Americans being friendly, generally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's like the juxtaposition of, of being as a nation, um, very self-interested and very um, not isolated at all, but very sure that we can get by on our own um, between, you know, the individual characteristic mm-hmm. of being very friendly, both in our country or outside of it. So it's interesting. it could be that we're defined by being like, you know, very community oriented and like helping our neighbors. It's just that we have a very limited view as to who our neighbors are and what community we have an obligation to. Um, Because I think that for the most part, Americans don't really recognize our place in the global community um, as something that we really have an obligation to or or something important. And I think, Mm -hmm. right. Yeah, go mm -hmm. for it. No, it it, it makes sense. I mean, it's not, it's not, um, well, going back to what you were saying about the U.S. believing that it can get by on its own, it it comes from somewhere. You, you, you guys are justified as a country in thinking that because in a lot of ways, the U.S. was and is a great, like a, the best country in so many right. metrics. Um, in, and I feel like this was especially undeniable in the maybe 100 to 150 years ago, even though in the past 50 years, um, that the U.S. was the most powerful country, the greatest country in the world. But um, I think that's where European countries, as they start progressing past that, I think that's where a lot of the hate for going from Europe towards the Americans comes from, which is that Europeans look at mm. look at Americans and see a superiority complex. Yeah. 
seem see Americans thinking that they're the best <laughs> in the world. Well, we say that, it. Yeah, self-centered. They don't need help. Yeah, and I think that's where a lot of the European... I mean, I don't want to say hate. I, I, I don't think it's necessarily hate. It's a kind of condescension, in a way. Um, I'm not even sure if that's a word. Yeah, oh, yeah that's actually right. interesting. <laughs> Have you seen um, Family yes. Guy? No. That, that TV show? <laughs> of course. Yeah, so most people I know. have it. No. You guys haven't. That's no. Cool. Well, okay. I guess, Tomas, if you have, I mean, do, do you see any of that? Like, I think me watching that, um, and I actually have a friend who, like, sends me a lot of these things that are um, quite, like, kind of you said, it's 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 made fun of in a lighthearted way. But this, and I guess that's the popular, that's what makes that TV show so popular. Um, for those of you who don't know, it's a cartoon kind of show with um for for adults obviously it's it's with very explicit content so it's not a cartoon show for like a you know 10 year olds or preferably not but um there's quite a few it's it it, it focuses i mean tomas if you if you've watched it could maybe you could um talk a bit about uh the premise of it and kind of like the the central maybe not plot but what it is well about. yeah there's there isn't a plot so, <laughs> so there's not really any way to go about oh, it oh yeah that's true that's just one of those funny Comedy Central style twenty minutes episode per episode shows um, where where there's not yeah there's not nothing that they're really following it just follows an American family um, and well with a lot of surrealist events in the way that it's a cartoon and so they can still do whatever they want with it um, and it ends up making a lot of political uh, political commentaries through jokes they're not that obvious um, but of course there's uh, caricatures of people and different things like that. It's interesting that the and I mean, like, shows like Americans that... are the ones that have watched the show. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, wow, like yeah. all the Americans here are just like, wait, what? what is this? <laughs> but it's shows like that, like uh, like Family Guy and like American Dad and those different, and The Simpsons. Um, listen, you guys <laughs> yeah. all know The mm-hmm. Simpsons. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, so no, I not watch The Simpsons. It shows like that that gave me an idea of what the U.S. culture was like back when, back before I yeah. knew anyone from the U.S. Um, and I mean, in a lot of ways they're right, but of course, in a lot of ways they're also wrong. <laughs> um, but they they yeah. do they make a lot of political commentaries and and well, just societal commentaries through their jokes and through their different episodes. Um, a little bit like South Park, although I think South Park right, is even more less family friendly. <laughs> <laughs> you guys got yeah. media that you guys got yeah. um you know as a maybe first introduction to american culture or something like that because i was thinking about maybe my media exposure to european culture as you were talking to much and i'm i cannot recall that ever happening like i think my media and i would say like generally global media too is very americanized um so mm-hmm. I really like I oh, for I have sure. no yeah I agree and even yeah. music um, very American I in general for sure if I play the radio if I open the television doesn't matter where I am in the world chances are I'm gonna see something that's American mm-hmm. American mm-hmm. made yeah it's, it's like yeah. it's also like categorized like, like it's called pop in America but like if you go to somewhere else it's like British pop or K-pop or C-pop or whatever it's just it's always mm-hmm. in America that's like the central. Yeah place for music i think, also, I think it makes sense if you can oh sorry Pooja, go sorry ahead. okay well this is kind of a side note but when i went to european countries for the first time i was not accustomed to 
the fact that tipping was not something that people oh, really do. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that was a huge oh, thing. Yeah. God. I made that huge yeah. mistake coming into In the into U.S., America too. it's a 20% tip. Like, that's kind of expected. Right, yeah. But when I went to Germany for the first time, my mom gave a 20% tip for a meal. And they were like, wait, why are you paying us 20% extra for the meal? <laughs> we were like, no, it's yeah. for you. It's for oh my you. God. Okay. Here, if we go to a restaurant, usually it's so, like a year or two extra. It's nothing special. Exactly. Yeah. So, so, yeah, so I've been to Ooh, 20 countries. Flex. 17 of those were European. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I noticed that, that, that um, tipping is not as accustomed, but like I've been to Japan and we were trying to give a tip and they were just like, no. No, they were like, oh, no, yeah, yeah. I, can, like, I can speak on behalf <laughs> of the Asian community for that. We're sense. just like trying to, like, oh, yeah. we're just giving a tip because we think we did a great job. And they're like, no, 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 no. And they, I think they were taking offense for us to give for us giving <laughs> tips. I'm like, okay, <laughs> it wasn't, like, I don't think it was really offense to elaborate on that. Um, when here in Hong Kong, growing up here as well, um, when we we have when families come together and we have a shared meal, for example. And I think actually this isn't the, this is just a general thing. Maybe it's it's not even just the on on behalf of the Asian community. When you when you share a meal between like two families or two friends, it it comes down to who's going to pay for the bill, right? Um, for on our end, and I, I, I guess you guys can elaborate too. Um, it it comes at like for us, it was like oh no no no, like I'll pay, don't worry, it'll be. And then yeah. the other side is like no, I'll pay, kind of thing, right? So it's not really taking offense. It's just that. Um, the, I, I don't know actually about Sophie for that particular example, but for that, it, I think it connects to that particular example, um, in terms of just maybe respect, not even respect, just the, that, that personal, mm-hmm. or I don't think that's even a good word of putting it, not even personal. It's just kind of how it, it's right. supposedly it's works, mm-hmm. right? It's, yeah, it's, yeah, right. it's different. exactly polite. Thank you. Well, yeah, that's what I'm looking for. Customs in a way, yeah. Yeah, You're not expecting anything. Mm -hmm. I noticed that a lot in Portugal or even just in Europe in general. Like, for example, when you greet someone in the US, if it's it doesn't matter who it is, you'll usually just give a handshake. In Europe, there's all all the different countries have different ways to greet. Like in Portugal, um, if it's if it's um, if you're meeting a man, you you give a handshake. If you're meeting a woman, you give two kisses on the cheek right. or one kiss on the cheek. Yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. things like that yeah. that end up being really different. Um, I also notice it in, for example, how we how we address our elders. Um, in that in, right. in English, there's only really one way to do it, which is you. Right. Whereas in Portuguese, we have uh-huh. a formal way and inf- an informal way and 20 oh, yeah. different That's ways the of conjugating yeah. them, which wouldn't mm-hmm. exist um, in English. Um, and that does change the dynamic a little in that um, sometimes it's a little hard to know who you should address in the formal way, who, sh- who you should address in the informal mm-hmm. way. Even in some cases, you, um, you're con- it's considered rude to address them by a pronoun rather than mm-hmm. their actual name. Like if I was addressing yeah. my grandma or talking about my grandma, if I addressed her as she, that would be considered not rude, but not polite. Right. Um, and so I'd, I'd have to address That's her so as interesting. Evolve, Yeah, Americans are definitely very casual, too, mm-hmm. in every single thing from the yes. language, you know, definitely. I know Spanish does that, too, um, you know, in terms of, like, the, the formal you and, and tenses and everything. Um, 
so we're definitely very casual and I I've experienced that too with just um uh families that I've met who are European um you know it's it's different you know I give big hugs to everyone I meet and that doesn't fly for some families um and I've I've learned that slowly (laughs) um, but you have to like ease them into it but but it's a learning curve There's oh, a stereotype, okay. actually, that I, I, I mean, I don't know whether this applies to the whole country, right? But there is, like, the uh, addressing your parents. Oh, right. I don't do that. But I, I've, I've seen that a lot. And that, for, for us, is very I, outlandish. That's a thing? Mm-hmm. I could never do that. Yeah, it's I, always mom. There are some oh, you kids yeah. that refer to their parents by their first name and not as mom or dad. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. How? My friend started That just blows I guess my mind. I was, like, 11 years old. And being like, hey, Leah, are we going out to dinner tonight or something? the <laughs> range for me to see. yeah yeah i mean but, it's yeah. not common well, but i've never yeah i can't imagine okay, doing yeah, that. i've, I've never seen that age. especially yeah, since like common. i have like i have cultural roots in like like in america but also like as a desi pakistani so i have two different views and like for me thinking american perspective that would be a little bit weird but like as a Pakistani perspective, I'm just like, I would never call my mom by her first name. That would be so weird. Right, yeah. Um, I think we have one more thing for you, Tomas, before um, we wrap up. We have a box kind of segment that we do on this Love podcast our box. now. Oh. That we, whenever we bring in a special guest. <laughs> it's why we're called Blair Box. Yeah, um, living up to our name. You have been part of the student government for OHS for a while, and I think you've also been involved with student government or in student leadership positions in your brick and mortar school. So you would kind of know the difference between the student community online and offline. Mm-hmm. Would you be able to think of some words associated with the student community online and say that's kind of inside the box? And then think, tell us some of the words that come to mind when you think of the student community offline that come, I guess we would say, outside the box. Um, specifically applying to my experience, meaning OHS versus my brick and mortar school? I think in actually yeah. in general, because we have a list okay. of words here that um, have come in from our audience and from others uh, who have kind of given us a list of words that they feel have associated with the student community online and then the student community offline. So let's see how many that you actually get correlated in, in sync with okay. those. Well, um, for the online one, I'm going to start off with that. Um, I'd say that mm-hmm. people are very nice, but... Sometimes it feels a little ceremonious. I don't think that's really an expression in English. That's what we would say in Portuguese, but it's it, it feels like you're being nice, but not really yeah. in a natural way. And that's what I end up noticing mm-hmm. a lot. Um, but at the same time, it's still really pleasant. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Like being yeah. around nice people who are always laughing, always smiling, um, and not really being fake. Um, I wouldn't go that far at all. Um, so yeah, that's, that's going to be my first word. Nice. (laughs) Um, I, I mean, I wouldn't agree. I wouldn't, mm -hmm. sorry, not, I wouldn't agree. I wouldn't argue with that one because I think it's just that, uh, that screen, that, that actual screen that makes you put on this online face, right? It's not, you turn that screen Mm -hmm. off, you move away from it. You're completely different person or hanging out with someone in person. You don't see all aspects, all range of 
not even just movement, but all of their behavior, uh, things mm-hmm. like that. Right. So I think you're you're spot on actually. Yeah, and building that, off of that, even though we, that's not what we have down that, here. I would I would describe the um, I would describe a physical school's um, environment mm-hmm. as more extroverted, in applying to the environment as a whole in. Be exactly right, because yeah. these people see each other every single day because they're used to being next to each other and there's no kind of hidden awkwardness or hidden That's ceremony. One of the words I, to put I don't know how to describe it in English. Extroverted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ceremonious? No, no. <laughs> oh, yeah. No. Lively is definitely one of them, yeah. so I think, yeah, you've got um, that one down. So, yeah, I, th- I think that's something... That really contrasts what how the in, online environment feels in that way when you're interacting with people, um, but mm-hmm. I don't think any of them is necessarily better than the other than the other um, just by themselves. Um, I think mm-hmm. once you take into account when you go into, when you go to meetups, um, for example, after maybe three four days in the meetup, things are going to seem completely normal. Things are going to seem like like you have seen these people every day for the past year of your life. Um, yeah. Can't really come up with other words. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to disappoint you like that. Um, but I'm trying to think. And nothing much is coming up. I mean, in terms of student leadership, which you were pointing out, um, I think the biggest differences end up being in the fact that as student body president of an online school, my there aren't really that many issues with the school um, that students want to fix. In a way, like all of the issues that students right. want to fix are fixable. So there's not really that that kind of if if there's something wrong with the school, there's not as much of a united voice for change, um, which yeah. I could see, which I've seen multiple times happen in my brick and mortar school. Um, when people do want to change to happen, they'll come together they'll argue together in group chats and create a petition mm-hmm. and email a teacher yeah. um and basically band together as a school um mm-hmm. so I, I do see that a lot more in in the physical environments um mm-hmm. than in the online environments right but right. i think that it changes when you consider um close friendships and small friend groups which works really well in an online environment um and keeping mm-hmm. keeping contact with these people through social media um so yeah. the two words that i'm going to take out of that um <laughs> in the physical environment would be sure. united as a whole um you can make that just united and in an online environment um well does anyone have any suggestions i don't even know how to put that complicated which yeah. is that there's everyone... actually quite a few here then you can maybe say that whether you agree with them or not, um, and the rest of you as well. Um, so here's a f- couple of them. So one of them is niche, then we have weird, ambitious, isolating, global, inspiring, diverse, and then one word effort. of effort. So I guess starting off with that first, before we go in, into offline. I think for referring to effort, oh, right. it's that effort that we talked about in the beginning, right, of making that effort to convert time zones and try to, you know, speak with your friends. So it takes effort. Um, Niche was one of mine, Mm -hmm. I know. Um, And I think that that pairs along with the one about diverse. I agree with that. People who do online school are here for a reason because you have to, you know, it's a very positive lifestyle in that you have to actively make the decision to pursue it. So, you know, a lot of people at the school 
um, are really into sports, you know, see Bouja, you know, or, or Chloe and, um, and they're really competitive in that way, or they're talented musicians, or they're just really good at, I don't know, like computer science or something like that. Um, so you have something, and I also put ambitious, I think, um, or I wanted to, because I think that mm-hmm. translates where if you're, you're niche and you have a passion about something, I think the people at this type of environment want to thrive in that, you know, and want to be the best at that. So mm-hmm. everyone at the OHS sure. has at least some idea right. of what they want to do in the future. Um, and most people have a pretty set idea and pretty good idea and have already done things to pursue that dream. Um, like yeah. Chloe and Pooja, for example, <laughs> with their athletic, <laughs> yeah. um, well, future. <laughs> <laughs> for me, yeah, yeah. like as a homeschooler, like it tends to like correlate in a way, like as a homeschooler, a lot of my academics was done online. And for me, people always thought I was like, basically isolated. Mm-hmm. I, I heard isolated as one of the words. I agree with that. And then like, don't really get much social opportunities or maybe like taking the easy way out as a homeschooler. But that's not true at all because I chose homeschooling and I continued with homeschooling because I wanted to take my education in my own hands, which is a, very similar to online schooling. I think people do that because they want to carve out their academic path in a certain way. Uh, but yeah. an interesting thing is like uh, when I got into OHS and I said I do online schooling and I say I go to Stanford online high school, people automatically don't think the same things because they hear yeah, yeah, Stanford totally. in it. So <laughs> I'm like, okay. Um, yeah. One person almost I thought I said that I went to yeah, Stanford same. and I was just like, just oh my gosh! If that's, only. That's, that's what my parents. <laughs> well, told even if you when, say online high school, they like don't acknowledge so the much. online high school part. It's they just... don't hear it. I'm <laughs> yeah. Stanford. Yeah. yeah. And then I get so yeah. many questions like, "Does it help with your chances to you go to we'll Stanford?" I'm like, <laughs> no, so many. I don't think so. <laughs> so many people ask me if this means that once I finish high school, I just go to Stanford. <laughs> I'm like, I yeah, wish. I guess. So, like, so the Stanford part of online high school has changed people's view on online schooling in general when I say that. But like when I was mm-hmm. just homeschooling and doing my academics mostly through online settings, it was a different response. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're yeah, running thank out of you. time here. Yes, but thank, thank you. you so much, Tomas, for coming on and joining us today. Thank you thank so you. much. That was, that was super fun. It was so <laughs> nice meeting you. I have not met you, so it was really nice. Yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was really nice. I, I love this conversation. Thank you, guys. Yeah. I think we could have gone on. We could have kept going, but unfortunately. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're still we're, we're things that I could have talked about. We can do another episode. <laughs> yeah. When it comes to cultural differences. Uh, <laughs> yes. Part two. Intercultural dialogue number two. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Thank you guys for listening to Blurred Box with Chloe, Haven, Pooja, and Sophie. If you like our show and want to know more, check us out on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or please leave us a review on iTunes. Be sure to join us next week when we talk about the current digital divide between students and now the online environment that everyone's forced into with the current coronavirus with our student body uh, headmaster, Dr. Hoshi of Stanford University's online high school. So be sure to check us out next week and stay tuned for that. Otherwise, we'll see you next week. And thanks for listening, guys. Thank you.